0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. So it just, it started with a teaspoon, that was it. Where it ended up, I never expected, but I'd been holding the thing under boiling water for about three minutes, and uh, as a cheeky 13-year-old, I uh, had it white hot there, and I went up and unbeknownst to him, I snuck up on my cousin and I pressed it into his flesh. And you could just hear the sizzle like a sausage on a barbecue <laughs> as it pressed in. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. He didn't think it was that funny. And then, of course, I'm playing the Nintendo as we did there up in Raymond Terrace. And unbeknownst to me, he went and took a tea towel. And he wet the tea towel and he had wrapped it around his hand and he would brought it down to a, a fine point like the end of a whip. And he just... "...without me knowing, found the perfect distance between him, his arm length, and my back, and he, he flicked it with such force and ferocity that it broke the sound barrier at the tip of the thing, and it created a welt in my back that was just so intense that uh, it went purple literally instantly." <laughs> And then we dropped the weapons. so down went the spoon, down went the tea towel, and we, we resorted to the ultimate weapon that 13-year-olds do. It was called a headlock, and it was at that point that I, I got his head and I rammed it through the gyprock of my auntie's hallway. <laughs> now, we all laugh, um, but we all, we all also grow up, don't we? And so instead of using spoons, we use weapons called solicitors. Instead of tea towels, we use weapons called treasonous words. And instead of headlocks, we just try and mess with people's heads. Now, is it me or do we live in a world where relationships are constantly unraveling and are on the verge of getting totally out of hand? Why is that? Look, the modern person would say, well, that's because there was unforeseen incompatibilities in the relationship. Uh, The the modern person would say that uh, there was a lack of mutually agreed benefits in the relationship. Uh, The modern person would say, oh, there were irreconcilable differences, right? And yet the Bible dares to say that all relationships are unraveling because your relationship with God has unraveled. And in the biblical sense, we heard the word. There was a funny word in there, evil, that we flinch at because we think it's hocus-pocus. And a one person would say, Sam, surely you don't believe in some dark force beyond nature that is that is tearing away at things. And my simple answer is yes. That's a whole other sermon. My simple answer is that there are dark forces out there that is to relationships what a bull terrier is to a businessman's leg of his suit. You get what I'm saying? The more simple way to look at evil is evil is everything that is not of God. And so that's why Dallas Willard says that for a heart to be radically evil doesn't mean that they're wicked or they're full of bad deeds. The radically evil heart is the heart that has made me God instead of God. And practically speaking, that means that the heart focused in on itself And left to its own devices in a multitude of various relationships will always lead to a system that will result in dislocation, disorientation and disorder. Relationship outside of God's guidance, they're always unraveling, right? Relationships take work. And so you say, oh Sam, that's an uplifting introduction. (laughs) Where's the hope in that this morning? What's remarkable from this passage that Loretta has just read for us is that the Bible dares to say, the hope in it is you. That for each and every one of us, we all hold a boiling hot teaspoon and the choice is to whether or not we're going to press it into the flesh of the other person. That every relationship is just a, a, a tinderbox full of sticks ready to go up. But the Bible dares to say that hope is you and that's why we've started a new series this week for four weeks, titled Getting Along, How Do I Get Along With The Person That's Hurt Me? How Do I Get Along With An Imperfect Spouse and Kids That Are Getting On My Nerves? How Do I Get Along With The Frustrating Person? How Do I Get Along With Someone Who I've Hurt or Offended? And so really what I want to do this morning, I want to share this passage that I shared with our night service recently because I thought it was just so applicable and it impacted them so profoundly through the Word. And what we'll see here in this passage from Romans 12 is that it'll give you the principle for how to get along. And how to break out of this cycle it's going to give you some practices on how to get along with the person who has wronged you but more importantly it's going to connect you to the power to be able to get along are we up for that Uh, the the first first thing the principle the principle the principle is overcome evil with good now there's always a spectrum of people that we are talking about here in life There's there's always a spectrum of people in your life there's the people over here who uh, they just don't like you they don't they don't really work with you they're always working against you they're annoying they're frustrating they're like a fly you'd swat them if you could Uh, but they just frustrate you and then there's the people in the middle those that have hurt you those who have wronged you they've cheated you they've caused you significant pain and then at the far end of the spectrum and I hope we don't have too many of these but there are the persecutors they're the ones who not only work against you and not only have hurt you but they are actively trying to do those things to you they're the persecutors now the question is what will our response to that be to that spectrum and lucky for you i've done some research and there are some wonderful documentaries out there one in particular that i'll mention this morning you might want to look up revenge on channel 7 it's a documentary that shows a young girl and if you haven't seen the show that apparently what the show is saying that after a life lived of deliberate and intricate scheming of the ways in which you can inflict harm on the people that have hurt you, it shows you actually how you can move into a life full of love and joy and fulfillment. In the Hamptons! What's our response? The default of the human heart when we're wronged, outside of God, is we retaliate. And here is where this principle diverges. It exits the highway of every other culture and society and belief system in the world. Here's the principle, verses 17 and verses 21. Do not repay evil for evil. And then verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, when you put these two passages together here's what they're saying the word overcome it's a military word it, it means to think of to seek out to strategize about an enemy in order to defeat them so it's an aggressive word it's a very proactive word and so what it's saying is if someone hurts you and you hurt them back if someone stings you and you sting them back if someone belittles you and you belittle them back then you've been defeated by evil because if you repay evil with evil and if you move down to that level for long enough, if you descend to that, what has happened? You've become evil yourself. You're not overcoming evil. You've been overcome by evil. And Paul knows that. Paul's saying if you truly want to be strategic, if you truly want to defeat evil, you must not respond in kind Now, people say, okay, then, well, what do we do? Nothing. You know, oh, that's right. That's where Jesus says, turn the other cheek, right? That's where we Christians are sweet. We don't do anything. And Paul's not saying that. No, it's a military military word. It's an active word. What he's saying is, if you want to overcome evil, it's not a passive thing. It's far more nuanced than you realize. So when someone wrongs you... Part of the problem is part of why we're descending into a whirlpool of retaliation is because you're not thinking enough, you're not being strategic enough, you're not being disciplined enough. You're getting caught up in that evil instantly. And the radical nature of Christianity breaks you out of that principle overcome the evil, stop yourself there. So, well, how do I do that? How do I overcome evil? I'm glad you asked. Because it leads us to the next point, the pathways to overcome evil. There's three of them here in the passage. There's a couple more, but I'm going to focus on three. Uh, They're blessing words, a humbling heart, and heaping coals. Blessing words, humbling heart, heaping coals. None of that makes sense. It will do soon. But uh, blessing words, verse 14 of Romans chapter 12. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, it's very much like Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, right? pray for those who persecute you now bless and do not curse bless your enemy here's how this is so powerful here's the practical implications of this adeles willard puts it this way again he says it's very hard to hate someone you are willing the good of it's very hard to hate someone you're willing the good of so what is blessing what is blessing blessing is to will the good of someone it's very hard to bless them and hate them and descend into anger at the, t- at the same time, right? And so this is what is wonderful and wonderfully easy and wonderful liberating about the first step in this whole process of blessing and not cursing is even if this morning, maybe someone's already come to mind that's hurt you, even if your prayer this morning is, Lord, please bless this idiot. <laughs> Paul says, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere because even the very fact that you were saying, I want to bless this idiot, you've, begin to, you've, be, you've exited the highway. You put the blinker on. You've, you've, you've steered off into a path that if you trace that trajectory out for long enough, good will overcome evil. Now that's step one. We're going to baby step into this because then you move into having a forgiving heart. Uh, we said, blessing words, forgiving heart, heaping coals. Verse 17 and 19 again, do not repay anyone evil for evil... And then in verse 19, it says, do not take revenge, friends. So the quick principle is the Christian should always be the first one to forgive. That would be a whole other sermon. We've preached on that. Matthew 17, the story, Jesus, the parable of the servant who's forgiven an unpayable debt by a king. And the minute that servant is forgiven, he runs off. He goes and finds the debtor that owes him a couple of bucks and he rings him by the neck and he puts him in jail. And the king is furious. He said, how dare you do that when you've been forgiven much? You must never do that. And so anyway, the principle is Christians always forgive first, right? A little bit trickier to apply, but here's what Paul, when we get to the revenge bit, here's what he means. When he says, don't take revenge, it's nuanced. He's saying, don't take revenge on the outside of your life. Do not repay evil with evil. But more importantly, don't take revenge onto the inside of your life. Now, I don't know about you, you'll often hear people say, oh yeah, look, I've forgiven them, but I won't forget. Now, realistically, when we've pastored people, that's true to an extent, right? But let's be discerning here. When someone says, I've forgiven them, I won't forget, there is a difference where someone is really saying, "Here's, here's what they're saying, I won't take revenge to the outside, but I won't forget. I've taken it on the inside. Now, what are you doing there? you're playing psychological voodoo you're dreaming up a little voodoo doll of them in your head and in your heart and you're trying to stick pins into their eyes aren't you and you're dreaming up all these ways that they could walk down the street and break their leg and all the ways that their business could stuff up and you're sticking needles in them and look here's the question is it, is it, is it, is it, is it really hurting them come on you know what you're doing you're ring-barking your soul. You, you are cutting your soul off from the very nutrients that it needs to be a person of forgiveness and love and joy and good fruit. You've cut it off because you've cut it off from the forgiveness of God. You've taken it on the inside. And Paul says, so Paul says with revenge, don't take it onto the outside, but more importantly, don't take it on the inside. And you say, well, what do we do then, Paul? The biblical principle is forgiveness is always given before it's felt. Right, I know it's not easy, and that's why. Have you ever heard someone say, "I, I can't forgive them because I'm still angry at them"? And my, I guess my question there is, um, could you, could you still be angry at them because you haven't forgiven them? Forgiveness is always granted before it's felt. And what does that mean? It means you hold back. You hold back from sticking pins in them in your mind's eye. You hold back from replaying the DVD replay of that moment when they hurt you over and over and over again. You hold back from trying to retaliate on the outside. You hold back from trying to retaliate on the inside. Now, see, this is progressive, can't you see? Blessing words, forgiving heart, and then the the, the radical one, heaping coals, heaping coals. This is, this is hard. This is hard, not because it's difficult to find a barbecues galore on the lower north shore, but... It's, it's hard. Look at, at verse 20. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. Now, maybe this is obvious. Hopefully this is obvious. What is heaping burning coals on their head? The heap burning coals on someone's head is to try and wake them up. If you heap burning coals on someone's head and they're sleeping, they're going to wake up. I think so. I don't want to try it. I think so. But more, more importantly, what it's saying is you actually proactively move into humble opposition to what this wrongdoer is doing to you. Now, remember, this is this is wrong, wrongdoing 101, 201, 301, okay? So don't try this at home too quick, okay? You've got to get, get the other steps happening. But you, what you're trying to do is you try, you're trying to destroy the evil by by analysing and strategizing and realising that have you ever been in those situations where someone's hurting you and it's gone on for so long that you go, what is this even about? They're, they're just being antagonistic for the sake of being antagonistic. That's the evil behind the person. So you're trying to strategize and, and say, what is that? How, how, what can I do about that? And so what you're saying is thats is that I'm going to go in with a forgiving heart, humbly and ready to go, and I'm going to go into this situation... And, and in the hope that my good deeds and my kind words and my kind actions and my forgiving heart might lead this person to a level of self-revelation of the very evil thing that's gripping them. Are you with me? So it, this, this, is, this is difficult. Can you see the progression? Bless those who have hurt you. That's just getting your safety goggles on. That means don't, don't, get sucked in, don't get sucked in straight away. Then c- go in with a forgiving heart. That's where you start t- tying a rope around your waist because what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to move to the edge of the whirlpool and cycle of retaliation in the hope that you can thrust a hand in there with your good deeds and pull the person out. That's tricky stuff. But to overcome evil is to recognize and understand that the evil is more the enemy than the evildoer. And often there are things deep, deep underneath that person that you don't even know or are aware of, but you are doing all you can to get to that that point. Now, that's the pathways. Now, do we want to know the power? The power to overcome. The power to overcome this evil. The power to, to be right with the wrongdoer in our lives. Verse 19 is going to show us where Christianity starts to just go off the retaliation roadmap verse 19 do not take revenge my friends but leave room for god's wrath funny sounding verse for it's written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord now what it what is that saying here's what it's saying when when i was a kid i used to love going to dad's office on the weekends where he would have to do a bit of work and i'd run up there with my sisters and i would love just going straight to his desk and jumping into his office chair and uh, I would, I'd be in there and I'd sit up on the desk and I'd have the pen and I would uh, delegate to my little sisters. They would have to go off and they would have to be my secretaries. Yes, I know back in the 80s it was a different workplace environment then, but that's how things were done. So they had to be my secretaries and I would play with the internal intercom and I would breathe down the phone all sorts of judgments and you've not done your work sufficiently and come into my office and see me. And I loved it, it was great. Uh what's what's this saying, verse nineteen? Dad's saying, get out of my chair. God is saying, get out of my chair. Get out of my judgment seat. <laughs> when it says leave room for God's wrath, it's saying you don't know what the wrongdoer's real situation is. You're you're imagining things about them and that should happen to them, but you don't know. And Look, it doesn't it always work like this when, when someone ever lies to you, you, here's what you say, you say, "Oh, they're a liar. They're a liar." You know what you're doing? You're, you're caricaturing them. You, you, are, you are creating a profile of them that's like, you know, when you go down to the marketplaces at The Rocks or at the Easter show and some comic artist has drawn a profile of someone with big googly eyes and they over-exaggerate the nose and the big smile and all of their features. You do that with them, right? Oh, they always lie. They're a liar. That's, that's all of them. You, you create a two-dimensional picture of them. But then on the other hand, when someone comes back at you and you lie, you say, oh, come on, no, I'm, I'm nuanced. I'm complicated. You know, I, I've got background. I've got stuff. You know, I've the, things have happened to me. You know, uh, the stuff happened to me as a kid. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a liar. I'm, I'm three dimensional. I'm complicated. It always works that way, doesn't it? God says, you, you don't know. You're two dimensionalizing him. You're not a worthy judge. Not because you're a bad person but you're a hopeless judge because you lack the the mental and the spiritual and the universal capacity to know where that person is really at he says you're a hopeless judge so let me deal with it leave room for my wrath so let let me close with a case study to wrap all of this up a case study of the power of getting along with someone who's hurt you Uh, it's a case study of what happens if you can get yourself out of the judge's chair and it's a case study of what happens if you can leave room for the judge's wrath Now, I don't know if this guy's a Christian, but if he is, man, we have a benchmark to live up to, brothers and sisters, particularly if he's not a Christian. He set the benchmark. His name is Peter Fraser, and his daughter was killed by this guy, Cain Barnett, who was driving down the highway, and Cain had not been paying attention for about eight seconds. I don't know if you've heard this story, right? And as he was driving down the highway, Kane had lost attention on the road and at the last minute he saw Sarah Fraser by the side of the road with another tow truck driver that was trying to help him. And because he was not paying attention, he flinched and he drove his truck at 100 kilometres an hour into the side of the car and he killed him instantly. Then an article in the Sydney Morning Herald just last week, April 24th, says, a father whose daughter died in a roadside crash has tearfully hugged the man who was driving the truck that killed her. Moments after he learned the man who killed his daughter would go to jail, Peter Fraser went over to Cain, Daniel Barnett, and gave him a hug. The two men, united in grief at the devastation, caused by less than 10 seconds of inattention, wept as they embraced their tearful family, surrounding them inside the courtroom at Parramatta District Court. Now, here's the principle. Listen, Listen to what Peter says. Peter said this to the media, Cain could have been my son. And any of this could have happened to any of our families, Mr. Fraser said. People die. Families are shattered. Here's a clincher. We don't want Cain to be there in prison for the next 18 months to three years. But the reality is, for a whole lot of reasons, he will now serve that. But it has to act as a signal to the rest of the community that you've got to change your habits. I want him to serve the sentence, but it's got to act as a a signal. Now, can you see the wonderful case study of how to deal with someone who's hurt? You see what Peter did? He left room for the judge's wrath. He left room for the judge to avenge his daughter's death. And as a result, he is hopefully stopping himself this very day from descending into a whirlpool of bitterness and anger and revenge. Not only that, he's holding back. He's holding back on the outside because he's leaving it for the judge to avenge his daughter's death. But he's holding back on the inside by identifying with the person who hurt him. What did he say? He could have been my son. He could have been anyone's son, he says. Now, can you see the power with dealing with someone who's hurt you? Would you like to know its source? Would you like to know the real source, whether Peter's a Christian or not? It relates to the Bible, by the way. (laughs) It relates to a wooden cross on a hill 2,000 years ago in where modern-day Jerusalem would be. And here's, here's how it relates. You see, anyone who is a Christian recognizes that whether it was for 10 seconds, 10 months or 10 years, they've taken their eyes off the only road that matters. That to be a Christian is to say, you're a sinner saved by the judge's grace. And to say that you're a sinner is not that you're inherently evil or bad person or a worthless person. No, to say that you are a a sinner is to say spiritually that we are all Cain Barnett. That whether it was intentional or whether it was unintentional, we didn't just break a law, we broke the law. The ultimate law. And we go before the judge and we say, judge, I'm sorry, I took my eyes off you for a second i didn't know what i was doing if i had known how my life would have turned out this way i would have changed my ways if i had have known that you were real i would have followed you sooner i would have done stuff sooner can i just have a second chance and the judge says no the reality is this i'm a good judge and i'm a just judge and for a whole variety of reasons that you may not come to understand i must hand down my sentence And Peter Fraser, as a human, got this. That all good judges in our earthly society must send a message to society. And the ultimate judge must send a message to humanity. To warn them of the consequences of their behaviours and say, you must change your habits. Now can you imagine this week, or last week, that if uh, as Cain was being led to his cell, can you imagine the picture as, as he was being chaperoned by the police uh, off to his cell? And then suddenly the cameras pick up something in the background because there's a little bit of a movement. And they focus in and they see that the judge has taken his wig off, which is unusual because he normally does that in the back room. And... Then the judge has stripped himself of the robe that he's wearing and then the judge puts his cavil aside and then the judge tips over his nameplate as a sign of his authority and the judge strips himself of all things and he walks down the tall stairs from his almighty judgment seat and he walks across the courtroom. And then there's a commotion in the corner because Cain doesn't understand what's going on. The police don't understand what's going on. But Cain's face is now changing to both shock but then joy as the policeman takes the cuffs off his hands. And then surprisingly to everyone, the policeman now places the cuffs upon the judge. And then people can't believe it as the judge himself is let off into the cells. And Cain walks down the courtroom and down the steps, a free man Friends, isn't that the gospel? Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-eight says, "'They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. "'They twisted together a crown of thorns "'and they set it on his head. "'They put a staff in his right hand as a scepter. "'They knelt in front of him and mocked him. "'Hail, King of the Jews,' they said. "'They spat on him, they took the staff, "'they struck him on the head with it. "'And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe, "'they stripped him, they put it on his own clothes.' and they led him away to be crucified look the gospel is this we anyone who is a christian understands we belong in the dock and yet we're always sitting in the judgment seat and yet the lord the ultimate judge of the universe comes down from the dock and down from his seat and puts himself on the dock and he takes our sentence and that is why the christians have the power to deal lovingly with the person who has wronged you here's the practicalities number one because the christian can leave room for god's wrath because god is a good and he's a just judge he will not tolerate evil he's the ultimate video referee for you sports fans That any cheap shot on the playing field this side of heaven, he's watching. And there will come a point in time when the ultimate judiciary will deal with the cheap shots. The one for all evil around the world. But most importantly, he'll deal with the cheap shots that you've copped in your life. And so therefore, you can relax and just get on with the game. Leave it to the video ref. Because he's the good and the ultimate judge. But most importantly and practically, the Christian is humbled by the pardon. We're humbled by the sentence we're humbled because we recognize that we should be on report. We should have been in the dock. We should have been in the cells. Yet in Christ, we walk down the steps of his courtroom in utter freedom. And what it means at that point then is, as we come to a greater awareness of our own sentence that has been served by God himself in Jesus, then we're far less likely to sit in the judgment chair have we Have we got that, friends? I guess I've got to ask this morning, like, if you're not a Christian, would you, would you like that power? Would you like that dynamic? Would you like to break out of the whirlpool of re- retaliation? What's, I guess, what's your alternative this morning? I don't know of anything else. And I don't know of any greater picture that can free you the way that the gospel can this morning. But most importantly, Christian, we've heard this, right? We, we know this. But I've got to ask, do you? Are there there echoes of bitterness and resentment and anger and unforgiveness in your life? Look, those echoes are just a sign that it's okay, we're all right with God, but there's more work to be done. So who's hurt you? Who, who, Who is hurting you? And what if, just because of the gospel going forth today, just one workplace had one less cutting person this week? And what if, because the gospel has gone forth, uh, there is one uh, less school playground that has one less bully in it in this week? And what if, because the gospel has gone forth, there is one less family dinner that is antagonistic, and there is one less cousin that's copped a head through a rock wall? And what if, because the gospel has gone forth this week, there is one neighbourhood that has had one neighbour that's not shouting obscenities over the f- fence, but inviting that annoying person in for dinner? What if? And here's what what if means. Here's what what if means. If just one person in this congregation gets the what if this week, then friends, you and I collectively have intricately become part of God's infinite future and present plan to overcome evil with good. That miraculously in the minuscule, life by life, relationship by relationship, God is making sure that Sydney one day will get along. Now, Jesus showed us that He broke the power of evil at cross at the cross, He broke the cycle of retaliation, He did it in you first because He wholeheartedly believes this morning that you are you are the hope that these cycles of disorder and relational entropy of disorder and dislocation will be broken this week because you've heard his message. And you've heeded his wonderful words that he would often say, go and do likewise. Let's pray.